This episode of Ars Cryptoctica is brought to you by Uptick Project, the NFT world in your hand. Uptick is a decentralized mobile app built on top of the Uptick protocol. Manage your NFT-based digital assets with a focus on entertainment, sports, and the creative industry. Whatever your need for NFTs, Uptick has you covered. All right, welcome back to Ars Cryptoctica. We've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, Henry, can you get us started? Sure. This is uh, this is exciting. I, I'm, I'm I'm especially excited about today's show because it kind of encapsulates the complexity and the profundity of the moment, and kind of also uh, supports the notion of it being a revolution, a time of revolution in the financial industry and a time of support for these sort of like micro revolutions around the world and forwarding social justice causes. Uh, We have with us today uh, Charles Nader. Uh, Let me introduce him first. Uh, Charles Nader, the CEO and founder of Doc.com. This is a company that I have been working with for years and very well acquainted with their mission. Um, It's one of the most noble projects in uh, the crypto space and what it does is well you know what i'm gonna let i'm gonna let charles talk about doc.com as well but so we have here charles nader thank you for joining the show today also uh he's going to introduce devin who is his partner in crime over at valor labs and cultural icons let's welcome charles nader to the show thank you charles well, uh, thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to be on. You know, I have a lot of uh, love for you and for John. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what Valor Labs is and what Culture Icons is. Um, you know, us understanding the reach of blockchain technology, uh, we decided at, at some point to, you know, try to uh, extend what we were thinking of uh, for NFTs and for a project that could benefit the African, the African American community uh, to create black wealth creation. So what we did is we created a smart contract platform uh, through Valor Labs and Valor Labs is designed to create projects that we can incubate and, and, and push out to the world that uh, feed the mission of providing ways to create wealth creation for the African-American community in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world through the transparency of smart contracts. So Valor Labs was created for that purpose, and the first project that Valor Labs is launching is cultural icons now cultural icons is an nft platform that is creating nfts based on sports memorabilia museum pieces and other artifacts that are coming from the community uh that are of value historical value and uh value of all types of cultural value and we're doing this in a unique way through 3D scanning uh, through the same kind of scanning that the Smithsonian Institute uses for artifacts 
but holograms, etc. We're doing this in a very unique way and uh, creating artifacts, digital NFT artifacts through 3D scanning of not only sports memorabilia, but museum artifacts, etc. to, you know, offer something different to the NFT space. Uh, so that's the first project that Valor Labs is launching. And, you know, we're very proud of the fact that we have people like Penny Hardaway involved uh, to create the first NFTs for, for cultural icons that are, you know, historical artifacts from NBA, special NBA games. And, uh, you know, we have a, a museums involved and things like that, that we'll be creating NFTs of these artifacts that have historical significance. So that's what Battle Labs is, and that's what Cultural Icons is. If um, I think Devon's with us, and he can, he's a CEO of Battle Labs, and you know he can uh, explain a little bit more of what we're doing. Yeah, thanks, Charles. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Really exciting time to just honestly be alive and to be uh, an observant and a participant uh, in this space. Um, the cultural icons uh, specifically, it's a very uh, fun story on how it kind of became a thing and, and where we are now, this, this trying to redefine uh, what memorabilia means um, from the um, athlete or entertainer um, to the, the fan slash the consumer. So um, as you guys know, uh, sports memorabilia has been extremely um, valued over you know time period. Um, there are these moments that are extremely iconic. Uh, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a Babe Ruth uh, 60th, 70th, 1,000th home run. Maybe it's uh, you know a, a famous moment for Marilyn Monroe. Maybe it's uh, like you said, Penny Hardaway. These um, these icons they have these iconic moments, um, and in that moment, that either they realize that they were uh, different. Uh, or the world allowed them to to realize that they were iconic. Um, there are these moments where uh, they'll never forget. And there's always a relic. We call them artifacts in that moment uh, that that are present to where it's something so special. You know, it's kind of like their holy grail. It's something so special that they'll never give up. Uh, there, there are things that they'll sign. There are things that they're fine with. But, you know, maybe Kobe Bryant's shoes when he hit 81 points uh, uh, in Toronto, maybe those are shoes that he'll never give up or uh, maybe he had a, you know, the jersey he'll never give up. So these moments are really special. And, and what we realize is, um, you know, athletes and entertainers, um, they are the Da Vinci's and, uh, you know, Monet's and Warhol's of, of their uh, specialty. Um, so just like artists that should be paid for their art into perpetuity, um, athletes should have the same. And there's a, a big frustration in the uh, community around um, signing, um, as you guys are aware, you know, if you're uh, taking, uh, you know, athletes sits in a room with maybe upper deck or, or someone else, they get paid per signature, sit in a, a hotel for three hours. That's one sale. They make a little bit of money. And then who knows what happens to the to the resale uh, on and on. Um, so there's a, a time consumption perspective. There is a frustration from a monetary perspective because they understand how valuable their likeness is. And we definitely understand how valuable their likeness is. And to be honest, you know, what uh, the mission, as Charles has said um, very well, articulated very well, um, the other mission, really, we want to, or I specifically want to prevent the, uh, the OJ Simpson effect, right? 
what is the OJ effect? That is um, an athlete becomes iconic, makes a ton of money through uh, certain decisions um, that we are, are not aware of. They may lose the money. Um, and part of that, trying to stabilize themselves, they'll sell off all their memorabilia. And then maybe one day, you know, they see someone on Instagram with a significant percentage of their memorabilia, uh, their physical memorabilia, and they want it back. And, you know, something like uh, OJ did, he went and stole his stuff back. Uh, so, you know, at the bare bones, that's what we're trying to prevent. And, you know, uh, athletes and entertainers, they shouldn't have to do anything more than what they are doing uh, currently that makes them iconic in order that for them to benefit um, and their family and, uh, you know, into quote unquote perpetuity. So having the opportunity for cultural icons to be the first utility, um, taking these iconic moments and we're storytelling too. That's a really big component for me with regards to NFTs. Um, what's the origin story? What's the why? Uh, you know, the art is incredible, um, but I want to hear from that specific entertainer, that specific icon. So we'll also have some audio and visual uh, components that will be part of the NFT for the memorabilia as well um, that the, uh, the buyer uh, will uh, be able to hold as long as they, as long as they choose. So um, that's from a culture icons perspective from a Valor labs, you know, we're, we're incredibly excited um, at this long-term vision. You know, we plan to be around the, the tagline is building the next 100 years. We realize that, um, you know, underserved communities, if you can create uh, some type of uh, ecosystem that allows for there to be a cycle of monetization for the culture that's created or things that uh, come out of that culture um, and they can consistently benefit, then you're going to significantly change the, the U.S. economy, right? There's a Citigroup study that shows the last 20 years. Um, the U.S. GDP lost $16 trillion due to racial injustice. There is also the same study that says in the next five years, if we can close the gaps, uh, specifically black entrepreneurship, um, you know, well, the U.S. economy is set to gain $5 trillion. And to me, what that's saying is if you can put consistent resources into underserved communities, that's where you're going to see your economy's greatest growth. Um, so that's where we're going to focus in the U.S. And then we're going to go to other underserved uh, markets uh, around um around the world. And it's not, it's, it shouldn't be uh, exclusive um, to support an underserved market and make money. Um, those two things uh, do have a very strong and should be a healthy relationship. Now you have set a fire to a lot of ideas that I had been milling over since an episode that I had uh, with a fairly renowned social justice advocate and uh, black and brown bodies rights advocate on. So I, I encourage you to listen to that episode. It, uh, it, she, does, um, she does present a very difficult picture and, and certainly an extreme um, viewpoint that is very well informed and educated. Her name is Rachel de Guzman. Uh, she would argue, and she, as she does on that episode, that your goal, as I tried to communicate to her the opportunities that would be available to, as wealth creation for African-American, uh, Black and brown bodies, but in particular African-American communities, through the NFT revolution, uh, that this was infinitely possible. And, you know, she's a skeptic uh, because the whole history of, of, 
you know, the apparatus of, uh, of power and how it sort of consumes those opportunities from uh, cultural platforms, whether that be in arts, dance, music, etc., that what opportunities are available ultimately become co-opted by the system and the money stays within the system. So the wealth, the rich get richer and the poor. It come, what comes to mind immediately, the idea of cultural icons for me in this context is uh, Langston Hughes' dreams. He said, hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken winged bird that cannot fly. And hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. And I would ask you right now, um, you, you, you know, Charles mentioned uh, museums. Now, I, I hear and I know that the, the inspiration here is cultural icons in the context of sports, but I also sense the long term goal here is cultural icons in general and the next generation of cultural icons so that perhaps you become a kind of um, incubation platform for tomorrow's icons in that you have today's young poets, African-American, uh, Latino poets, uh, dancers, authors, musicians, that they, mm -hmm. they may find some sort of um, uh, place in this technology that you're developing. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about the monetization of uh, imagery of protest. I'm thinking about the monetization of the poetry, spoken word, um, slam, etc., that you find on YouTube that isn't monetized, that these young, uh, brilliant, uh, socially active um, protest, social justice warriors that are laying their, you know, their hearts, their, you know, it's all blood, guts and pain and suffering. And it's coming through their artwork. Is this, does this have an opportunity on cultural icons? Is this part of the long-term vision? Yeah, I, I uh, absolutely um, believe and uh, know that it is. Um, again, you know, we say 100 years, but we're hoping it's a 1,000 years. Uh, fortunate or unfortunate, we won't be here um, beyond that period. But, uh, you know, when you uh, remove access opportunities and resources from any group of human beings anywhere for uh, a long period of time, uh, whether that's by design or not happenstance, if that is a thing, um, the, that group of human beings, they have no choice but to develop these uh, superpowers of creativity, superpowers of ingenuity, um, powers of innovation, simply because they're human beings and there's a standard. Uh, and if the resources, the current allocated or lack of allocated resources do not exist in that community, um, they're going to uh, gain the type of, uh, you know, cognitive muscles to have it without the resources that it typically takes. So um, what I hear you saying is, you know, these underserved communities are, they're culture shapers. They are, um, you know, trend creators and trendsetters. And for historically, uh, she's right. There has been no credit. You know, if someone in a, a lower income status community creates a a dance, which there's a TikTok you know strike going on right now, and someone with a significant amount of resources takes that dance and pushes it out to the world, and they get the credit. Uh, when Charles, uh, I met Charles, and he started, you know, Charles has this deep um, romantic 
you know, uh, love when it comes to crypto and, and DeFi. And, and he expresses it very poetically. And it clicked to me that, um, you know, the, the, the blockchain and, and, and the crypto com- uh, economy, it really is uh, reparations um, for underserved communities uh, because of the transparency, because of the authenticity. So if we can, and part of the Valor Labs, um, you know, our, the way that we're going to function is heavy on the education side, because if we can educate and onboard um, this to those communities and they are uh, focused, you know, uh, kind of blockchain focused in how they create and why they create, then um, there's, you know, we're not going to have a choice, but uh, for those resources and um, for that wealth to be pushed, you know, to the creator, to the originator. Um, so for me, it's just a, a fair opportunity that can level set uh, communities all over the world um, that uh, I know we're so new into the space, but I, I really believe that this, this is indeed uh, something that obviously it can't be, you know, it can't be fudged with. There is no middle person to, um, uh, yeah. uh, there's no smoke and mirrors in, in this, in this space. I just want to say something. I, we're going through a transition in the world right now. This is a whole new genre of technology of potential. And, you know, think about it. If we had something like Mark, Martin Luther King's speech, if, if that were to happen today, we could make that an NFT. That it, it, would be, uh, it would be something that would be revolutionary and recorded. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that we know we can do these days. And because of, you know, that, that's the kind of things that we're looking for, not only museum pieces and, thing, and, and stuff for cultural icons, but, you know, literally cultural icons, you know, iconic moments, iconic uh objects uh it's it's what whatever is iconic and it's truly a mission because it's it's a historical value you know and it it represents a whole new era in in history so you know i'm very proud to be part of it because of that you know from from that perspective it's, it's something that has historical value and it's something that we can we can create and modify mm. and evolve throughout the years to come. So, you know, the, the whole NFT space is that value. Yeah. I, you know, you say if, 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 if that speech were made today, that speech is perhaps more powerful today than it was the day he, he spoke it. Um, especially in light of 2020, especially in light of, you know, uh, I can't, the, I can't breathe phenomena, of African-American bodies on the ground with a knee on their neck. And I, I, I'm working right now with a, a company out of Shanghai to develop a 501c3 base NFT platform that uh, focuses on, uh, you know, proceeds, percentages of proceeds and whatnot, uh, propping up organizations that do work in the streets all over the world around many causes. I would ask you, and I think these foundations like the, the Martin Luther King Foundation, might be interested if there was a 501c3 capacity or component to iconic uh, uh, cultural icons, you know, you may be able to uh, bring back the past uh, moments to the NFT world today 
certainly if within the umbrella of your company's vision, there were, there were sort of like subsets of, of, or subsets to the platform that, you know, maybe articulating differently. Like, so if you're working with an, a foundation like the Martin Luther King foundation, you know, they're probably going to expect the proceeds propped up that organization, but may be interested in that speech becoming an NFT, something to consider. You know, in this idea of subcategories within the larger umbrella uh, plat of, the, of the platform, I want to bring up to you guys, I don't know if you're familiar, um, the New York Times about almost just about a year ago did a fantastic feature on young black poets who are the future. That was literally the, the New York Times uh, title. And these are 10 young, and I mean by young, teenage black American poets. Um, I'll forward you this article. It would be interesting as, as, a, um, um, as a subset of cultural icons to think about tomorrow's icons in this way. These 10 young black American poets, uh, as outlined in great detail, you know, the millennials and the generation coming up behind the millennials right now are, are radicalized and sensitized to social justice causes in ways that young people in this country have never been. I mean, you can go back to the Vietnam War and, you know, there was social unrest and protest, you know, against that war. Certainly protest against wars goes back to, you know, probably probably as far as far back as human history. But what if you guys have a think tank of these young black American poets? Take this just as a, you know, as a subject, as a concept within your platform. You reach out, you, you bring in these 10 American poets and they have their own uh, group uh, somewhere in the cultural icons menu drop down is this group. They have a, you, you know, they, they become a movement and that movement is associated with cultural icons. That could happen also with every aspect of the arts. You can look at the young, uh, you know, African-American, uh, Latino-American uh, artists of the day who are spearheading change for the better future of humanity. Um, so there's lots of that stuff going on. I was wondering if, if, if stuff like that was in your wheelhouse or in your vision. Um, yes. Uh, first of all, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, that vision. I don't know if we have to pay you for that. Um, Charles, do you want to kind of discuss our um, uh, nonprofit uh, component to Valor Labs? Definitely. You know, Valor Labs uh, as a decentralized finance platform, a DeFi platform, uh, it's designed to provide uh, an automated fashion of uh, resources to charities and to organizations that that are in line with our causes, with the causes and the mission of Valor Labs. So, you know, that part of the proceeds that we generate automatically are sent through a smart contract to wallet generated uh, specifically for anything that is related to cultural development and and the pursuit of wealth creation for the african-american community and anything that really contributes to the advancement of uh education and and uh benefits to the community so it's definitely part of the project uh i think i think there's a grand uh avenue of things that we can do 
you know, there's, there's not only education and, you know, things like you were mentioning, Henry, like poetry and things like that, we can transfer to this new world that we're, we're entering into. But uh, there's just a whole assortment of things, you know, the, the cool thing is that we can, that we can make, uh, we can create new value, a value that's tangible and that's publicly verifiable, uh, that's created from the community. And we can now, we can now make it tangible for people to actually uh, hold that value. And the fact is that there's so much that we can do. There's, there's so much, so many combinations of things that we can do. Not only, uh, you know, music and art, but, you know, just financial models. There's, there's many ideas that we can, we can actually translate to this new format. And that's what we're looking to do with it. Because in the end, we, we're trying to encompass all the cultural uh, aspects of, of uh, the community to try to, you know, to try to cover everything. So we're just beginning with it. You know, we're just in the beginning stages and, you know, there's just so much we can do. Uh, just with regards to, you know, <clears throat> you specifically mentioning um, the uh, poets, um, I, I, I believe and I know that the NFT space in general will catch up fairly quickly, um, but a, a major part of culture icons is the art of storytelling. Um, storytelling is an art within itself. It is deeply valued, especially when you're connecting it to, you know, the artifact or that, that, that relic or memorabilia. So yes, um, to have storytellers in the way that you mentioned that can capture uh, these moments in history uh, is extremely valuable to the world and is valuable to, to cultural icons. So to put this into perspective, uh, poetry on the blockchain right now is not even an afterthought. Um, there is, there has been a movement uh, locally and lately uh, that was sort of spurred on by the NFT influencer Artchick.ether. She has, she's one of the more, one of the more well-known in the space, plus hundred thousand followers on Twitter. She does move the market a little bit, at least as far as who's collected and not. A uh, little background: I'm an artist. Charles knows this, uh, Devin. And recently, I actually uh, finally made my got my invite to uh, to work through Foundation. Um, that it's all going very well, but I'm very interested in poetry on the blockchain. And just as a sort of like proof of concept, um, I have written a book over the last I don't know 16 years uh, called WTF America, and it's really kind of look at the decline of the social structure at uh, the hands of the decision-making of, you know, the, the, the powers that be and its global imprint and impact. And it, in, a, in a certain way, it's sort of like sounding an alarm uh, through the investigation poetically of the fall of America or the American empire. And this is happening, we're, you know, being eaten alive from the inside out. So this book is written and I, in, in an experimental way, wanted to see if there were uh, avenues to um, produce this book as NFT. And I have come to the conclusion. So I produced as pilot five sections out of a hundred. The book is a hundred sections in audio with, with my own art sort of animating and illustrating the, these first five sections as pilot, put them up. Or I put up uh, two sections. The first section 
that I put up sold for uh, the equivalent of a little over a thousand dollars either. And that is more money than I've made publishing poetry wow. in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I mean, individual poems. Okay, so I have lots of African American uh, poet friends. Uh, one of my great mentors and in, in, in long time, long term um, associates over the years. I've had many conversations with Martina Spada, uh, who's the professor emeritus and head of the poetry department at UMass Amherst. Is a Latin American poet. He's recently. Uh, in the last 10 years, has picked up a couple of major, major awards, including the American Book Award for Poetry. You know, he he is somebody you guys should look at to head up. Um, he's a lawyer also uh, by his his he has a law degree. He's a practicing lawyer and his entire practice is focused on uh, impoverished populations and helping those types of people. But his poetry is second to none. And uh, I mean, he's a Latino poet, so he represents and impoverished and oppressed people. I know you guys are primarily focused on the African-American community, but I think long-term that's going to be just sort of like, mm-hmm. it's going to come out in the wash mm-hmm. as oppressed peoples, right? Um, I mean, ultimately yep. that's that's everyone's goal in social justice. So I just wanted to throw it out there that there is, there is an opportunity for young African-American and Latino poets to monetize their social justice stance, their politics, their fight to revolutionize and change the landscape in this country. And um, that I don't think anybody knows that it's it's relatively obscure right now. I mean, I bet you I'm one of 20 or 30 or 40 poets that have monetized their poetry at this point and have sold a single poem for a thousand dollars. How many uh, African-American poets do you know that could use a thousand dollars? It would completely change their month. So I just want to say it, it'll change their life. And, and, and then you start to think about, OK, well, NFT is going to sell better if it's if it's you know, if a poem is paired with an art, it's going to sell better. And I think that's also why the, my work sold at that point, mm-hmm. uh, because it's a, it's a complete vision, right? but that you will have access to African-American painters, African-American artists that move on to the NFT scene is happening now in droves, not nearly at the clip, you know, that you'd expect, but it's there. And then you pair up the writers with the artists or the dancers doing their dance, you know, in, 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 in with the, with the writers and with the mm-hmm. painters. I mean, it's a, the, the possibilities are endless, but I wanted to say that the voice, the voice of African-Americans has a place in the NFT market, they can monetize their voices, not just their visions visually, but their voices going back to the legacy of Martin Luther King. So I wanted to throw that out there. It's proof of concept. I, I am proof of concept. It's possible to monetize poetry. Yeah. Thank you for, you know, just really your passion and your purpose with regards to art and storytelling and this, this idea that you know, the, I think the stability when it comes to the NFT space is really around a holistic approach to value. And uh, like you said, coupling uh, the voice, um, the poem and the, the storytelling um, is, is deeply powerful. I mean, as you were talking, I remember the, the young lady that spoke um, uh, when Biden was during his inauguration and 
you know, I remember crying uh, from her speech, my wife. And uh, I even remember, you know, how proud an icon like Oprah was uh, of the young lady. And, um, you know, something like that is a modern day, uh, you know, Martin Luther King speech am amongst many. Um, and there, there's there's deep value in that. And you just bring up this this point of, you know, we as human beings, we're so we're all so special and we're all so powerful from our yeah. unique experiences. Um, and we all bring so much value that we are completely unaware of mo majority completely unaware of, um, you know, when it comes to your abundance, the thing that you're gifted with, it doesn't feel valuable. It just comes from you. Um, so if no one is there to uh, show you that it, it has more than emotional or mental or spiritual value, that there's a monetary value associated with that as well. Uh, that can be extremely, like you said, life-changing, game-changing, sustainability. Um, and, and once you're able to uh, have a poet that can, uh, you know, exponentially grow their uh, earning potential based on what they're already doing, you know, who, who's the next generation? Like what type of brain capacity and, and the ability to focus on true passions and purpose um, can we in the world, you know, experience? So that's a very great point. Thank you. You're welcome. I would task you to, to as part of your mission goals, to articulate to the masses that point you just made. And so I'm kind of a little bit um, controversial in this space at the moment because I don't typically let anybody rest on their laurels. And by that, I mean, I just am very outspoken about the fact that at the end of the day, everybody coming into this space at the ground level is an individual. And those individuals that are coming to the space, you know, you got to got to keep in mind that the NFT space is is still kind of, you know, attached to the hip of the crypto space, which has still in across the world, you know, comes with a lot of difficult connotation. Some of it negative, some of it completely false. But regardless, we don't have the mass influx yet of the people, and I I do think that blockchain technology and in all of its manifestations up to and including especially NFT because NFT is monetizing that personal passionate vision, that wealth spring of personal talent, that wealth spring of, you know, um, ability to contribute to the larger goal of making this world a better place for everyone. And I think when you talk around the water cooler to anybody at work, you know, uh, around the dinner table on Sunday with your family, you know, cousins are over, uncles, aunts. When you have those conversations at the barbershop, you know, those conversations, they rarely don't dig down into what's wrong and how can we fix it. And everybody has an opinion, but nobody has a platform until now. Here we have a platform for everyone. And there is no middleman to say you can't have it. All you need is a wallet. Right. So I challenge every company that I talk to to be that company that spends a certain amount of dimes on articulating that every person that you can be, um, you know, you can be homeless right now. You can be a squatter, you know, off a of Times Square that's scribbling down your poetry in a little 
scrapbook that you found on the curb, you know what I mean? Or on the back of napkins from diners in that you only need, you know, access to a public library computer to, you know, set up a wallet and go there whenever you feel like it to, you know, upload and monetize your vision. Does, do, do, do people realize that? Do the homeless realize that they can actually utilize a library to monetize their personal passion and vision if they have one. And I would point out that throughout the history of art, you know, there are a great many examples what they call the outsider artists that were discovered most often posthumously or during their lifetime, they were poor and propped up by, you know, people who knew something was special about them, but they never had an opportunity to monetize their work because the system never allowed that. And yet here we are at the beginning of a beautiful time period where there's a system in place that can monetize anything for ever, for anyone. And now again, cream will always flow to the top and meaning matters. And we're not saying here that everybody's going to be an icon because of this, because of the technology, but we're saying that there are a lot of lost icons. There are a lot of misplaced and displaced icons of the future that don't know this opportunity exists. And so I just challenge you guys to be one of those companies that spends a little, uh, some dimes, on making sure the these people that you you know you, you I am fired up because I was so happy when you said monetizing the African American that has not had access to a platform for self monetization and 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 before I hand over the torch I just want a, a personal story since we're you're into the storytelling uh, component here <laughs> that that. Um, social justice activist that I had on my show a couple weeks ago, uh, Rachel de Guzman, her and I you know, and I, I, I produce a lot of art that is socially justice uh, oriented and, and active, you know, and activated. And, and she, and I'm a, and I'm an Anglo-Saxon white American. So for me, you know, I'm trying to be an ally to the African-American movements. Um, I cannot lead, you know, and that's something that she's very passionate about as a white American male especially I cannot lead in any sort of commentary on the black experience. And I get that and I appreciate that, but I can be an ally. And so over the last five years, I have put on many shows in support of black lives matter uh, since its inception uh, through her uh, curation. She runs a lot of art organizations and um, one, but after the Baltimore riots, you know, I had, uh, put together a, uh, about a hundred works in a very short frenzied period of time that I wanted to bring that show to Baltimore and we couldn't do it because I was white. And then I, she wanted to do stuff locally. That was, you know, if I, again, I'm an ally, I'm not an African-American, I can't lead. So in every effort she made to bring my show to bear in support of the experience as an ally up until 2020, we were not able to get funding to put on the show because I, the concept, the ally hadn't really started to, to bleed out in the, in the think tanks yet. It hadn't become a public concept until 2020. So now all of a sudden you also have the opportunity for allies to come and help African-Americans in what way is respectful. Okay. And so, but I do have a show now, finally, as an ally, it's an ally's show. And we're working on that for the fall. And one of the things that I'm going to do in that show is I'm going to do a live action painting with a very good friend of mine 
uh, who he's an African-American who's brilliant and passionate and politically active and a dishwasher because he's an African-American who isn't secondarily educated, regardless of his talent, regardless of his intellect, his IQ, whatever he could bring to the table. He's a dishwasher for that reason. And he'll tell you that I'm not making this up. This isn't my opinion. And he's going to come to on this show with me and he's never painted before, but we decided we're going to do a live action painting with, with black paint on a white canvas side by side in a, in a show of camaraderie and a welcoming of the ally to the platform. So it's stuff like that. that's happening all over the world and all in all over this country. And you guys are sitting and this concept is brilliant, man. I applaud you both. Again, I got shivers when you said monetizing the African-American populace because those platforms have not existed without extraordinary interference by that systemic racism. And, and you have to listen to Rachel de Guzman's show because she will break down how systemic racism has stolen every opportunity from the uh, African-American artists from, in every walk of life, in every category of arts. And you guys are one of the, you know, you are the first platform that I have heard mention the monetization of the black American uh, uh, cultural experience. So I just hats off to you. I hope that you really reach out to the masses and not just people interested in spending tons of money on, you know, uh, NBA basketball stars. I mean, I know that that's super important. I'm a huge fan of Penny Hardaway. We got to talk <laughs> about him at some point. Um, I grew up with that man. And he's a cultural icon for 100%. me. I'll hand the torch back over to you guys. Maybe we can shift gears to Penny Hardaway unless there's more you want to contribute. Uh, no, I, I just want to You use the term when you were uh, so passionately, you know, articulating your mission. Um, you said uh, extraordinary interference. Is that um, kind of the what you're mentioning about how uh, systemic racism has, you know, consistently blocked this idea of uh, create. Yeah. Yeah. It's extra extraordinary. I think the word extraordinary, um, which is the same word as extraordinary, but if you slow down and think about it, it, it sounds a little bit more appropriate as extraordinary than extraordinary. Cause there's nothing extraordinary about Absolutely. opportunity away from people. To serve it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I just appreciate you, you know, saying that and being an ally and it, it really is the only way. I mean, honestly, you know, uh, uh, allies um protesting with or understanding the systems that have been created uh in a way that uh you know most oppressed communities don't or have not had the privy to that's how we create change and uh, you know our new ally is uh you know blockchain technology and our newest ally are smart contracts so like you said there is no middleman that can uh interfere in that so i you know applaud you and appreciate you for being an ally and you know even the I'm, I'm in houston right now i went to uh rice university uh which is you know a, a ivy league school and it may have been four years ago we celebrated 50 years of integration and the in the actual i'd say the unsmart contract of, <laughs> uh rice was um and uh it, be, it being a place where uh, african-americans were never allowed period, point blank period, to uh, be educated. And about 55 years ago, 
there was a, a group of student body and along with uh, professors that uh, created this protest. And, you know, they're the ones that understand the, the outward, the optics and the, the inner uh, systemic ways to create that type of change. Um, so without uh, allies like yourself and, and them, you know, the, the opportunities for uh, oppressed communities to, to receive what they've earned or, you know, having opportunities to uh, learn at similar levels uh, would not exist. So I'm grateful for, um, you know, this, this new space. That's why I'm so fired up when, again, when Charles, so we can go, we can transfer kind of to the penny uh, thing after this, but when Charles, uh, the way he speaks about, you know, this entire uh, new phase of, of technology and, in life, you really, things click to me in ways to where I was already on a path and then, you know, uh, technology shouldn't be the thing that makes you, it should be the thing that scales, uh, your vision or your service. And I said, this is it. I was like, this is, this is really it. Um, so, um, thank you. Yeah. Before we uh, transition, I also wanted to point out that if you're going to, uh, include like, you know, subtext, within the platform for bringing up the people uh, also consider a, a a token pool for minting cost coverage for people uh, that lack the means that do come on say uh, the homeless poet uh, that goes on through the library and sets up his wallet maybe there's a grant program you know that it, you know that's it isn't an application-based program because not everybody can read that is just if you cannot afford you know, to mint your poem or your artwork on our website, on our platform, then you know what, here is a pool for minting costs that will offset your lack uh, of, a, uh, of means. And I mean, that's something I think that should be, um, you know, integrated ASAP, because that's something that immediately anybody who's a, a, a critic of, you know, the system of power would say, well, here you are, you know, trying to uh, ingratiate yourself to uh, monetizing black cultural experience at, at, at the street level, but, you know, you're not affording the street level artist a means for minting their way to stability and self-sufficiency, you know, and I'm not talking about the welfare here. I'm talking about artists and industrialists coming together and helping each other out. That's great. Um, I'm literally taking notes as you speak. So Charles, we'll get on a call after this because uh, that's really, it's a really great feature. All right, Charles, you're an ally too. So let's talk about party Petty Hardaway. Well, Penny, you know, Penny is obviously a, a support of the project. He being an NBA all-star and, uh, you know, just someone uh, that's a legend in the NBA space, uh, you know, saw the value of, creating these historical moments into NFT form. You know, it's, it's, it's a new space that we're in and who wouldn't want to own a piece of history. So, you know, Penny saw that he has a uh, Sharpie, Sharpie shoes, the Sharpie sneakers. And that's the first NFT that we're launching uh, in their Penny's shoes from the moment that the NBA said, you can't have, uh, you can't have, sneakers with x amount of uh black coloring so they actually he actually came out of the game and 
they used a Sharpie pen to uh, fill in the spots and sign them. And that's, that was an iconic moment in the NBA because of that, because of the regulations in the NBA at the time. So uh, that's our first NFT. And it's an iconic moment in NBA history. And that's what Penny's contributing as his first NFT. So, you know, uh, he's definitely in line with what we're trying to do to offer cultural moments, cultural iconic moments to, uh, to create this whole new, new genre of, of uh, value that's being created because of these iconic moments that can now be translated to NFT form. So, you know, we have, and if we have a Penny's sneakers from that iconic moment in NFT form in 3D, uh, you know, 3D scanning and holographic scanning uh, done by the same people that scan everything for the Smithsonian Institute, you know, it's something very unique in that sense. And it's something that hasn't existed before. So from a, from a, sports memorabilia aspect uh from a cultural iconic moment aspect is something very unique and that's why he's 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 part of the project and you know he's contributing that as as the first thing that we're actually offering so you know it's part of nba history uh part of athletic history is that a material gift for the purchase of the nft and is the nft going to be one of one or is it an addition so the the platform is really allows the, the icon to kind of dictate, um, you know, how special this is, what's the story and um, how many they want to exist in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, you know, Penny's really, he's re- if you look at any of his uh, uh, ESPN uh, 30 for 30 or E60, um, you know, the man is so passionate about the community that he grew up in, the community that surrounds it. You can tell. You know, when we interviewed him, uh, they, he recently won the NIT for uh, Memphis um, University in like year two, two or year three of coaching. And you can tell when you ask him, what does it mean? He goes straight to the community um, and he does things that we're aware of uh, supporting other nonprofits. And he does things that, you know, we are completely unaware of. And um, part of culture icons is, is sitting with the icon and letting them tell us what was their most iconic moment what was the, the relic that existed in that time uh, for him, you know, the, the phone posits or Penny's shoe line is the number, number two, uh, highest selling, um, you know, sneaker line, uh, basketball shoe, uh, for Nike outside of Jordan. Um, and there aren't too many athletes, uh, that have those type of lifetime, um, you know, uh, relationships with, uh, with Nike in general. Um, so at the end of him telling the story about how he stepped on the court, and the, with, with shoes that, you know, no one had ever seen before uh, in, in that specific way in the NBA, pulling them off the court saying, hey, there's no, which is really strange, but that's a whole other story. There's no black, there's not enough black in the shoe. And him, um, instead of switching shoes, he realized that there's something about him. There's something about how Nike has uh, molded his brand and these specific shoes that are going to change um, the way uh, you know, kind of the sneaker community um, sees his brand and, and his shoes uh, that he just refused to, you know, take them off. And he just was like, okay, you need black. Let's, let's put it in black. So for Penny, 
And uh, the other story is, you know, Michael Jordan, the only other shoe that Michael Jordan ever wore in his career outside of his own were Penny Hardaway's. Um, so that's also, you know, part of the, the storytelling aspect. Uh, but for him, um, you know, it's something in the, you can see the video, um, but he places a shoe down and he has um, uh, his, his best friend who passed away from cancer, which is the reason, one of the reasons uh, his best friend was uh, convinced him to play basketball in general. And that same uh, person was coaching middle school basketball, passed away from cancer. That's why Penny became a coach. And he, he won at the middle school level, he won at the high school level, and now he's winning at the collegiate level. Um, but at the end of it, when he places the relic or the artifact on the table and starts to go into his storytelling, I literally go to grab the, the shoes, his defined um, artifact, and you can see his hesitation. Like you can see his body kind of shift like, ah, and I was like, hey, we're going to, we're going to, you know, um, scan this at the highest level possible. And we're going to bring this right back. I make a joke about having insurance. He laughs. <laughs> and you can see how special these things are to him. So I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. And um, he, he, when you, you can feel that from him and that, that's what you want to, that's what you want to feel. So, uh, you know, at the end of the show, you know, we can say, uh, you know, Penny, how many of these do you want to exist in the world? And, you know, he can dictate that. He can say, well, there's only one, um, you know, foam posit line. Uh, in, in this moment, there's only one Des for me, uh, my, my dear friend. Um, so there's only going to be one in the digital space. Now, uh, you brought up something that was really important and something that we've been discussing kind of back and forth is, you know, what happens to the physical piece. And a part of that is um, how do we, uh, we know that this is something that is defined by the icon as something that they would never uh, let go of, at least in this moment. Um, so um, there are opportunities for us to put those pieces in a vault. There's opportunities for us to, um, you know, have them on our own to maintain the value. And then there's, there's other unique components that if you, uh, Michael, were to purchase uh, the phone posit NFTs, um, there would be some type of audio or visual component that the icon outside of if we're able to create a show out of this um, to, to you or the owner that is a unique, uh, even more uh, you know, intimate uh, message from the icon to the to the consumer yeah and i wasn't referring to the actual sneakers no you know interestingly the in the nft world the idea of you know un unlocked content um or you know like a material object like i have a you know i've, I've already run into collectors who want to buy the nft but we you know uh, only if i uh, will produce for them a monoprint or uh, you know an addition from you know, a rare edition to accompany the collection of the NFT. So, you know, especially the higher up, you know, like I say, recently launched on Foundation, which is one of the, you know, more elite top organizations for NFT arts, in fine arts anyway. And the, I'm running into that more now. So the higher up you get with the collector base, just, you know, as a heads up, the higher up you get people who of means who are maybe more, uh, used to collecting they're also more used to uh having an expectation of an object uh, and i think one of one mm -hmm. of the transitional um uh growing pains if you will that that the, the space at large is going to face um is you know and I, one of my like 
missions that I'm working with, uh, you know, very well uh, established and successful uh, analog, we call it analog artists as in not digital, meaning, you know, like the, you know, think Basquiat moving into the NFT space, right? So Basquiat is a, is a physical world painter producing physical world objects. And all of a sudden he has to wrap his head around the NFT uh, in that it's immaterial. Um, so the world at large is, go is going to have this growing pain coming to the NFT space. And it's kind of our job as stewards of the space to help them transition. And, uh, you know, I think it's okay. Uh, it's just, you know, we have to be sensitive to the fact that, you know, the top 500 or top thousand collectors that may have the means to spend this, the, the kind of money that maybe Penny Hardaway's project would command, which is very different from, you know, the homeless poet uploading his, uh, his work through the library system. Uh, you have to appeal to all walks of life and all levels of collection. And um, I would encourage you, as I have other uh, NFT platforms, to devote a space within your platform uh, for the collector himself, meaning like there should be um, a, a, a gallery area where collectors are sort of uh, praised and adorned and develop their own profiles, that the profile landing page isn't all about the creators. And I, that's something that across board in the mm. space right now, every single platform has ignored the collector as somebody to be praised, somebody to be put on a pedestal of profile page, somebody to have their own landing page with other collectors where they can feel special. Uh, that's something that should be done. And it shouldn't be exclusive where somebody who spends $10,000 on Penny Hardaway's NFT should share the same landing page with somebody who spends $100 on, that, uh, on the homeless poet's uh, NFT. So, and I think that's a way of, you know, anyway, long story short, um, I meant to begin with that you brought up the Smithsonian and their scan. And I saw this beautiful, sleek, um, sort of, uh, what is it? A, 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 like a, like an iPad looking thing that would be a perfect object that would be the unlocked content as part of collection of the Penny Hardaway shoe. And if it's an addition, if it's a one of one, then there's one of those. And if, or the artist could say the, the NFT is a one of one, but you know, we'll open up a secondary auction for let's say 150 or 250 edition of the screen of the digital screen. Uh, so there's that, that's a way mm -hmm. of making exclusivity and price valuation for the NFT uh, skyrocket while still offering something extremely valuable that will raise significant amounts of money, albeit less, but then satisfy more collectors. You know what I mean? So there's lots of ways of doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, um, there is a uh, hardware component that we are working on. Hopefully we can release in the next, uh, you know, three to six months. Uh, and that would be kind of a NFT to frame uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, we have a working, working prototype um, that's with me right now that can take the NFTs that you own and uh, place them into a physical frame that can be manipulated. And I know Charles mentioned the, the holographic aspect as well um, to have a high res you know, 3D hologram of the NFT that you specifically own. Um, so that you could display it on your uh, desk or, you know, 
have that opportunity to not just have the piece uh, on your phone. Um, so these are definitely things that we are not taking into consideration, but currently working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're really uh, excited about the, the possibilities on our uh, short midterm uh, roadmap that uh, encompass this, this holistic experience to owning something, uh, you know, with that type of value. Mm. You know, I feel like we've really kind of thoroughly discussed um, this extraordinary new platform. I mean, I, honestly, I think you're doing things, gentlemen, uh, that this space really hasn't touched upon. Uh, you know, social conscience, um, social conscience work is, man, it's never light at heart. And, and I'm really proud of what you're doing. And I know that you're partnering with Charles Nader, uh, Devin, it speaks volumes because I mean, you know, Charles knows my story. I came to doc.com in a, in, in the effort to promote, um, what his mission and that, you know, he was seeking to provide mental health care for those people who could not afford mental health care. And the work that they're doing, um, is second to none in the space. Honestly, I, it's, it's one of the great secrets of the space. I mean, I know it's coming along. I know the work he's doing behind the scenes is going to be legendary. It's, it's epic what he's accomplished already. So I'm so, you know, it speaks volumes about your character uh, that he partnered up with you and your mission. Uh, I am 100% behind it. You guys are welcome to come back on the show anytime you want to uh, give us updates about um, the project and where it's going, what it's doing. If you want to bring on, uh, you know, your artists, you want to bring on sports figures, whatever you want to do, we're here to help support what you're doing. Um, because I love the cause. And uh, let's shift back now to uh, doc.com, Charles, if there's anything you wanted to add about that, because I know, you know, these these projects for you are inseparable. They're all mission based. They're all working for the people trying to, you know, solve uh, injustices around the world. So what might how, how do you want to link these projects together? Well, Valor Labs is uh, in essence, an incubator of projects that provide uh, benefits to the African American community to create Black wealth creation. And doc.com's uh, purpose is to provide free basic health care to the world. So, you know, combining these things has benefits to, to the community and has benefits to society in general. And uh, healthcare is has always been a I would say a mutual incentive to benefit humanity and just anybody in general, um, you know, aligned with what we're doing and taking advantage of blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, we can now take advantage of decentralized finance and automate the process of distributing dividends and, uh, benefits in regards to MTC to whoever stakes uh, Valor in the staking pool. So we create a staking pool, which means that you can you can generate uh, interest from staking. Uh, there's fees that are distributed to the stakeholders uh, and the revenue streams coming in from cultural icons and other projects that Valor Labs is generating. Uh, those go directly into the staking pool. And part of the process that's automated through smart contracts is that you get MTC uh, 
back from staking Valor, VLR. So that, in essence, is a benefit to, v, uh, to VLR uh, by offering MTC as a token that, that can be used within the doc.com platform to provide uh, healthcare services and or to be used within healthcare services that doc.com provides. So not only, not only can you use uh, VLR to, in, in exchange for, for uh, MTC, but you also get it if you stake VLR and all VLR, all Valor token holders are getting doc.com memberships included just by participating in the VLR crypto economy. So it's a benefit not only from an investment standpoint, but also from a utility standpoint. It's, it's, it's something that uh, adds value to the utility of Valor token and also uh, is in line with the objectives of uh, providing you know, an additional benefit in the form of healthcare to all the community that comes in through uh, the Valor token. So, you know, we're, we're trying mm. to add value wherever we can. And doc.com is a, a, has always been something that I would say is fundamental, you know, fundamental things like uh, healthcare or, uh, you know, finance, things like that. Um, if we don't have health, we don't have a life, basically. I mean, it's, Health is above anything. You know, you can have a lot mm -hmm. of money, but if you don't have health, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter that much. So, you know, through Doc.com services, uh, we adding this to the to the VLR token and to Valor Valor Labs, uh, it's a, it's a good match to add value to the whole Valor Labs proposition as an initial stage and additional stages to go. You know, and there's many other things that we want to add, but that is uh, that is a key thing that we're starting with, and you know there's more things to come, but that is what Doc.com has related to VLR, and that's how uh, we do it not only with healthcare services, but also in the staking pool. So it's incentivized not only from the social aspect, but also from the investment aspect. That's fascinating. You know, I, you just gave me an idea thinking about Doc.com in the in the app. Now, in, in this notion of um, uh, sort of a philanthropic pool of of minting fees you know you the ability to cross pollinate from uh cultural icons to doc.com at the higher level doesn't make sense because doc.com is really philanthropic in its approach it's really trying to offer bring free healthcare to the world um it may be an interesting relationship it, when you build out at some point if you build out I should say, an, ar an architectural level for the people, again, the homeless poet, um, that person is also most likely to be using doc.com's free healthcare. Maybe interesting where if there's a way of messaging and cross-pollinating that the access to the free minting pool happens through the free healthcare app um, as maybe not exclusively, but that awareness of it is communicated through to the people that are most likely to need that um, uh, minting pool that those people are going to be on doc.com. So just something to throw, toss around there too. 
um, that, that that's an interesting way of cross pollinating because you're appealing to the, the right demographic as opposed to, say, marketing to a, the masses that may or may not take advantage of the free minting pool. Uh, so just something that came to my mind. Um, yeah, I, I, man, I, I tell you, Charles, this is um, so in your wheelhouse that you have taken on another project that seeks to better mankind, that seeks to bring, you know, uh, extent freedom and the expansion of freedom and, you know, uh, you know, fortifying inalienable rights. The idea of inalienable rights are not just, you know, he, you know, uh, talk, right. That, y- that you'd keep doing this is so impressive to me, you know, and I know in this crypto space, every company and every CEO and every platform has its hecklers and, you know, you've had your hecklers, but I'll tell you what, the integrity of your mission just keeps unfolding um, honestly and unwaveringly. And I'm so impressed. And I know that, that, that Devin, as I said, that Devin is the right man to, you know, to partner up with you on this. You two both sound uh, right for the job. And I, I'm really excited to see where this goes. Um, I hope, I do hope that you really figure out a way to articulate this to the people, not just the people of means, um, because that's that's really where the change is going to happen. Of course, you know, and uh, the spirit of blockchain technology in general is to democratize things. And, uh, you know, I've always been a true believer of uh, the changes that we can make in society through free basic healthcare or, you know, the use of blockchain technology in general. But, you know, uh, I've, I've mentioned it before, you know, in, in my speeches and things. And uh, for me, healthcare is such an, such a essential thing. You know, we, we went through the whole pandemic. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's more relevant now than ever. And you can see it, you know, firsthand, you know, people can see the benefits of these kinds of technologies and the benefits of digital healthcare, uh, you know, with, with Valor Labs, it's translating not only the whole healthcare aspect with doc.com, but, you know, incubating other, other, uh, other projects that create uh, value for the African American community, which we've also seen, you know, has several conflicts and controversial things happening in multiple parts of the world. So, I always thought, well, you know, this is a good combination of things. Uh, we're 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 reaching out to uh, society that that needs it, and you know, touching on subjects that truly deserve this kind of attention and this kind of change. You know, this is a it's 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 a mission that's a lifelong mission. I would say, or until we see that change happen, and. If, We've seen these these kinds of changes happen historically. Uh, you know, there there's been the whole uh, social rights initiative that we saw happen in the '60s, and there's there's many things that are to come. You know, not only at the level of the United States, but worldwide. You know, we're living through this globalization of change, and you know, it's it's healthcare, it's many other things. You know, and Doc.com is healthcare. Valor Labs is there to incubate further things, you know, aside from healthcare, uh, but it also includes that aspect. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that I say it brings value 
it brings satisfaction to the the mission to to working hard to making these things happen and uh you can see it firsthand you can see with with the results of you know people using a service or looking at this new paradigm you know uh it's amazing to think Mm -hmm. and yourself for example i have i have your nft you know the john mcafee nft a year ago when we when we would talk you know when you know that's something that I that I believe has great value, and I wouldn't have it if I didn't think it had value for the long term. And you know these kinds of things we didn't have two, three years ago. It's a whole new world we're going into. So these kinds of things, uh, com- combining the reach of technology, uh, you know, with these ideas, you know, we have the power to change the world in ways that, you know, we haven't seen before. So, you know, it's, uh, I've, I've always been a proponent of, uh, you know, grand change healthcare for me has always been, you know, a very purest form of doing it. Uh, but there's just so many ways, uh, with blockchain technology and NFTs and, uh, you know, we have to be creative and we have to think of ideas, but it's, you know, for me, it's, uh, one of, one of the greatest, uh, moments in my life, I would say. And I feel that it is for all of us to be participating in this whole new era of technology and uh, this whole new era of intellectual property and how things are becoming more decentralized. You know, it's, it's wonderful to see, you know, because I know that eventually we'll see a lot of government processes change to this format. We'll see a lot of, uh, a lot of artwork and a lot of, a lot of effort, human effort, translate it into the nft form uh iconic moments and things that we wouldn't have expected you know things that you would love to have recorded that moment or you would have uh, wanted to uh you know have that artifact from that single you know historical point uh translated to something that could last generations and that's the moment we're at right now so you, you you mentioned a lot of stuff, Charles. I think amongst us, we know what we're talking about, but I'm afraid the listeners don't know some of the terms. So like you mentioned MTC, if you could just briefly explain what that means and how it can be used and maybe just explain the doc.com app a little bit more. I, I, I'm afraid some people aren't that familiar with it. And also maybe the life chain, if that's involved. Sure, definitely. Well, MTC... The, the, the reason MTC was designed and the crypto economy behind Doc.com, uh, the life chain, the life chain was designed to basically provide transparency uh, in the use of data. So every time you use a service, healthcare service, there's data generated and it's, it's necessary for epidemiological research and healthcare uh, science, basically. So Whatever you may do, if you go to a hospital or uh, if you go to you know, a clinic or, or use any healthcare service, there's always data being generated. And a lot of people don't know this, but you know, there's always some sort of saving or transfer of data when you use a healthcare service, no matter where you go. So that's why we have HIPAA regulations and GDRP and things like that to kind of standardize uh, regulation around the use of this data. Um, so we created a model where the data generated from our basic healthcare services, telemedicine services, uh, is 
made transparent through use of blockchain or we pay out people for the data generated uh, we're paid we paid out in in mtc and that mtc can be used for further you know services or products in the healthcare space that are offered through doc.com so and that's medical medical token coin is that right medical uh medical token currency yeah mtc okay yeah cool so that was the original objective of MTC uh, as a coin. That was the, 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 the aspect that provides intrinsic value to MTC uh, because it's linked by programming, by, by coding to the data generation uh, through doc.com services. So it's a very innovative model. It's, it, it, it solves a couple of problems that you know people don't, uh, realize that are there, but you know, trying uh, to be solved through regulation and through some aspects of technology. But here, we can use blockchain technology to kind of solve both things. You know, paying for data and also being transparent about the use of data, and the, that's the benefit of MTC. So, you use a healthcare service. There's data generated. You get paid for the for for the data generated, and there's transparent. Uh, visibility as to what data was generated. Uh, and you can solve that with blockchain technology. And that's what MTC is. That's, that's the purpose of MTC. Now, you can add, the, add value to that through decentralized finance. And if we would have asked us three years ago, we had uh, you know, theoretical uh, options of what we wanted to do with, with de- decentralized finance. Um, but in essence, decentralized finance is what Wall Street does. It's adding value through financial models, adding economic value to monetary instruments. And that has a very positive effect when you're trying to do that with things that have good utility or utilities that are positive uh, in regards to how society uses them. So with decentralized finance, you can take that, you can take that uh, value created through a utility like MTC, for example, through the use of healthcare services, and you can now offer, you know, fees through staking, and that adds value to it because if you stake stake MTC, there's fee generated and that's distributed through to the stakeholders, or you can do uh, indexing of the coin itself, you know, with other smart contracts like Growthify does, and you can do multiple uh, decentralized finance models or features that add value to it, add economic value to it. And that creates more scarcity and, and more demand. And that's something that we've lived, uh, we've lived through with Wall Street, you know, with Wall Street and all uh, the, the financial uh, world. So, you know, banks have always done these kinds of things to multiply value uh, investment vehicles. And we can now do this with decentralized finance, with DeFi models. And so we're combining uh, these things so we can provide more free calls for people. You know, uh, using the same decentralized finance model, we're, we're channeling part of the, the revenues generated from the whole decentralized finance model to co- the causes that we believe in. And that's something that's publicly verifiable and viewable 
uh, with Valor Labs and with Doc.com. So it's a DeFi project, but it is, it's, it's taking advantage of smart contracts and decentralized finance, DeFi contracts to make this possible and make it more transparent and, and, and something that we can be proud of and say, look, we're not telling you it's happening. You can see it. It's real time and it's transparent for everybody. And that's the kind of world we're going into now that we can take advantage of these things to really transform the world. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, decentralized finance, doc.com with MTC, Valor Labs with VLR, you know, combining these things with decentralized finance models allows us to get to this uh, additional kind of value creation that can be translated to, you know, benefits for that we can see in real time with, with people. You know, so and let me make it really simple. You know, I having been with you from almost since the beginning. Um, what are you in now? Twenty four countries? Is, am I correct in that? Or you have you gr- reached out into any additional countries? Twenty four. Twenty four. With Doc yeah. Doc Twenty four. So for my audience, you know, and are you? Uh, how many states are you in now in the United States? Thirty five states. Okay, so just put put this into perspective uh, for my audience listeners that um, in 35 American states and in 24 global countries already, in just throughout this tumultuous roller coaster ride of, you know, the birth and rise of, of crypto economies, this company Doc.com, which is one of the shiny example of real time use cases, is now available for free. Doctor, not. Um, you know, nurse, although nurses are participating in all this, but you can download the app in 24 countries in 35 states. You can push a button, uh, sign up in about seven seconds, push a button, and in a matter of seconds or minutes, a doctor will answer your phone call and help you in real time. And that is, in most cases, uh, for free, certainly where it needs to be free, it is free. And, uh, you know, you, I suggest that anybody who is uh, a savvy crypto uh, economy based company investor to look and do your own research, but look into doc.com. Their work is uh, noble. Uh, their use case is genuine and radical and life changing and here to stay. Uh, I see them as pioneers in the space, and uh, I have personally used the app um, in real time to see that it works, and it does. So I wanted to get that out there. The apps are available for download on Android and iPhone, uh, the App Store. And on that note, let's shift gears, uh, you know, somber note as it might be we lost one of love him or hate him based on his profound personality his his really radical charisma mr john mcafee um you are a friend of you were a friend of mr mcafee's you were a friend of janice's you are a friend of his friends um i think it's important to take a moment to sort of say a few words about Mr. McAfee uh, in honor of his life, in honor of his 
um, extraordinary pursuit of absolute freedom for the people. Uh, he ran as the libertarian candidate in this country for president some years back. Uh, he has always been controversial in his outspoken nature. But if you get below the surface of the sort of fireworks of his personality, uh, at the root of John McAfee was a love for freedom in the purest sense of the word. And he advocated that freedom for all people. Uh, he never really spoke to a class of people. He only spoke to the people. And, I, and, and that is something I always admired about John. I did have the opportunity to uh, converse with John back and forth around articles that I was writing for Doc.com. So I have some personal experience with his, his fireworks and his personality. But I can tell you that I've always honored, um, I've always felt he was an honorable man in his goal to liberate all of the sort of complex problems and potentialities around what does it mean to be free in this lifetime and living through the human experience. He was bold. He was brilliant. He was a polymath. He was a love, you know, a lover of life. Um, he was a sentient, intelligent man. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you, let you say a few words, because I think his life is uh, warrants quite a few words uh, in honor of his memory. You know, uh, one of the, the main thing I will say is John, John McAfee is a legend. You know, he created the antivirus industry and he literally invented the freemium model. He was the first one to actually create the freemium model, uh, give out software for free and then charge later down the road, which became a huge commercial success and defined a lot of the, a lot of products that came out to the whole tech industry uh, in general. And, you know, the antivirus industry in general was created by him. He, he literally started. So just in that, those two aspects, I mean, think about a person, how many people do we have uh, in history that have done great things like that? And, uh, you know, what he did was transformative to our, our life today. Uh, you know, I always looked at him as someone who had done that. So someone who had done something I admired so much, you know, he, he, he was hugely influential in the tech industry and the evolution of technology and, and programming and software uh, because of that. And he also had a different way of looking at life. Uh, you know, something that I, that I was very fortunate enough to experiment, uh, and, you know, consult with him. Uh, you know, I remember so many talks and I, I, I remember thinking the moments I was with him sitting down and I would just, you know, uh, start talking about things and we would go into these deep talks and go down rabbit holes of, of, uh, just multiple subjects life and uh technology and science and multiple things and you know there was i remember the first time that happened when we first went down the first rabbit hole the first time i met him 
in Dallas, uh, I knew, you know, there was a, there was a couple of things that were he responded, and I knew I was like, okay, he's definitely a thinking man. He's definitely a very smart man. He goes down, he analyzes things multiple steps ahead. Uh, and that was the kind of person he had. And that, that was something that I was intrigued by and, and surprised me because, uh, you know, I recognized that aspect of him, the, the fact that he would go deep into thought, that he would think of things and, uh, you know, he would think of responses or, or consequences of things that most people wouldn't go that, down that road or that deep into it. So, you know, it was amazing to, to see that happen, you know, unfold in my eyes, but also understand that because of that spark, because of those, that, that way of thought, he uh, also was able to create a whole industry and take the path less traveled by, you know, and, and, I always say, you know, because I took the less, the path less traveled by that made all the difference. Uh, and you know, I, I say that in, in all senses of life, you know, I, I, uh, I've always tried to take the path less traveled by and, and do something different. And John McAfee was an example of that. You know, he always took the path less traveled by, uh, despite the controversy or the polemic nature of his life. You know, he always took the path less traveled by. He he was distinguished in that sense. So, you know, today I think back and I say, all right, I'm very grateful to have known him, to have listened to him, to have been able to question question him in my full liberty without any, you know, without any limitations to ask him the hard questions, the things that I was truly uh, interested in. You know, I asked him about his life or why he did things. Why did he think this way? Why, why did he go down the road of saying certain things? Why would he, uh, you know, be so eccentric in his, his responses? Why was he so polemic? Why he thought of certain things uh, a certain way. And I had that liberty and that, that confidence as a friend and as also someone I admired, uh, and I had that opportunity to do it and with a with someone that, that I already knew was a legend that had already done something like that. So, you know, no matter what anyone says to me, you know, I've had I've had a lot of people come to me and say, well, he was this and that. He was John McAfee. He created a whole industry. He created a whole, a whole genre of commercialization of, of, of software. That is, you know, his legacy. He did that. And no matter what anyone says, he, you know, defines that, that moment in history and technological history. And for me, that's, that's something that's uh, very admirable and very important. And few people have done that. You know, we, we know of people have done that, but, you know, he was uh, good friends with uh, Steve Jobs and, you know, uh, Larry Ellison. And it just, they all respected him for what he had done. And, you know, for me, it was just like, wow, you know, I, I have the insight from this man who had done all these things. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a hit for me when, when I found out that, you know, he, he passed away. Uh, it was also something very bizarre for me. Cause I thought, well, I don't believe knowing how he was that he would 
commit suicide. You know, it was just blatantly. And the first thing that went through my mind was why would he do something like that? I mean, just knowing it, he, you know, he had gone through so many things. I mean, he literally tried to convince me so many times to be a homeless person for two weeks a year and just choose a city in the world and be homeless for two weeks a year. You know, that's who tries to do that. You know, ask anybody, you know, it, it just, it just, completely bizarre it was uh, completely bizarre for me and i remember thinking wow i mean who sparks that kind of interest in you and he had the power to do that and i think if he did it for so many years he was willing to tolerate any difficulties of being in jail and stuff he especially knowing how calculating he was you know he he would go deep into thought uh, down these rabbit holes you know i think uh he had a plan you know, he for sure had a plan and he had a plan for his whole case and what he was planning on doing and the message he wanted to, to give the world. So, you know, decentralization and democratization of many uh, virtues and, and, and freedoms that we have was his main thing. You know, he was very all about that. And I remember listening to him to the extent where I was just like, oh, he's just, you know, another guy preaching. But uh, he had the power. He had the power to actually uh, preach out very, very logical things. And he did it in his own fun way. You know, he was all about living life to the fullest and just having fun with life, thinking, well, you know, we all live a limited life and uh, we all make our own story. And he was making his own story. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't conform to anybody's standards or any way anyone said anything. And, and that was a characteristic that is admirable in people. You know, if you're willing to take that extra step that others aren't. Uh, and that's something that, that, that I think that, uh, you know, we should all, we should all see, you know, there is a possibility of living a life where you can do great things do as you as you please live a life independent of society's uh judgments and uh just be different in that sense and, and change the world and you know he he uh represented that in different ways and he has multiple facets of his life that that uh show that so you know he wrote three three yoga books for god's sakes i mean i i always think like Despite his eccentricities, I think, oh, well, you know, he went six or seven years as a complete yoga guru, for example, wrote three books and he was just, uh, you know, didn't do any drugs or anything. It was just completely clean. And then one day decided I'm going to start drinking just because he made that decision. He had the power to say, today, I'm going to decide to do this and I'm going to execute it. And that's a very powerful thing. So channeling that energy was mm. that's the key you know yeah let me say something about that and i also want to add to this conversation i think it's very important and it's a personal opinion that no man who is loved as deeply as he was loved by his uh, dear janice would ever take his own life and no man who loved a woman as he loved her would take his own life because the, you know there's there's something shakespearean about the notion that a man would take his own life because he couldn't be with a woman. 
But even Shakespeare would have, and he did, write that scene, that last scene with them together. And I think John McAfee would have written that last scene together with his, the love of his life. And I, you know, I want to say that for, you know, for, for the love of his life. And I, I also want to say, because you just mentioned um, this ability to choose, you know, the, going back to the work that I made for, uh, for John, you know, in my own way, in my memory, in my, in my sort of memorializing him, I chose a photograph so iconic for me. And I think for him of him holding the, the handgun to his head. And the reason I chose that photograph and I, I knew it would be a somewhat controversial to his closest friends around the timing of what had happened. But I, I think that John would have wanted that photograph to be used. And I'll say, I'll tell you why, because John reminds me of the existentialist philosophers in a lot of way in meaning that his life philosophy sort of understood, you know, Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus, like the back of his hand, because Albert Camus said, you know, the, the whole point of existentialism was a grappling with the philosophical um, notions of freedom. John McAfee lived his life in a constant negotiation with the concept, the idea, the truth, the absolutisms or lack thereof around the notions of freedom. And Camus said, what makes us free? Why he knows we are absolutely free is because we have the ability to take our own life. But it is a greater, the greater truth about freedom is that we would choose not to take our own life. Because that encapsulates freedom. Because freedom is something that only exists for the living. We're not made free by our dying. We're made free by our living. And in the photograph of him holding the handgun, I always felt there was a cynical nod to the existentialists. And there was something kind of, you know, there was something kind of proud that he could hold that gun to his head and say, I'm John McAfee. And then here he is. He's, he's still, he's still here with us. That, that was like kind of a Hunter S Thompson moment for him. It was kind of an Arthur Rimbaud, the great French poet moment for him. It was him saying, I'm a badass. I'm John McAfee. I live and die for freedom, right? He didn't die in that cell. He didn't take his own life. I, I refuse that notion. I want to put that on the record. He didn't take his own life. That's not John McAfee. John McAfee is the, that cynical, bold, badass that held that gun up to his head in that photograph that became so iconic that would never have pulled that trigger because to pull that trigger is not an example of absolute freedom. It's just an understanding that the ability to pull that trigger was there that's what sort of in, enforces the notion of freedom for the living. And that's what, that's what John McAfee is, man. To me, he'll always be the poster boy forevermore, like in a long line of, of iconic poster boys and girls for the true absolute 
beautiful notion of interpersonal freedom. There's collective freedom and then there's interpersonal freedom. Collective freedom is what we're all fighting for as social justice activists. We're fighting for one nuanced aspect of freedom at a time, right? We're fighting for the rights of Black Americans to not have knees on their throat, right? That's the collective freedom that everybody fights for. But interpersonal freedom, which is sort of roped into notions, could be spiritual, right? Could be philosophical, could be literary, could be poetic, metaphoric, whatever, whatever your perspective on freedom is. The interpersonal experience of freedom is what John McAfee is front and center, one of the great vocalists of our time, uh, you know, speaking on behalf of. And, and that's how he'll be remembered for me. And, you know, shame on whatever powers that be that uh, interfered with that man's life. That's all I have to say about that. And I, my heart bleeds for, for his wife. My heart bleeds for her, for the love of his life. I hope she finds solace in what a great man he was and the legacy he left behind. And that that legacy uh, will only grow over time. And that if ever this world is a freer place, one of the iconic uh, images that the world will remember then looking back in history will be John McAfee. I believe that. So I just want to say that in closing on my behalf, words for John McAfee. May he rest in peace. God bless. And moving back to uh, today's episode, I want to say again, uh, thank you. Um, from the bottom of my heart to yours, uh, you know, I, I even feel a little bit emotional about your work. And you know that, uh, Charles. And now, uh, Devin, again, welcome to the family of, 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 you know, workers for a better humanity. Um, I don't know your life story, but I know your life present and the work that you're doing. Um, it's extraordinary. I'm honored to have you on the show. Uh, if you guys have any closing notes, I'll open the floor up to those now. And uh, I look forward again to perhaps future episodes where you give us uh, updates on your on your great work. I've got one thing to clarify. Is is it Devon or Devon? Devon. Devon. It's Devon. Um, but no, no worries at all. Just wanted to clear that up. All right. Anything else? Uh, no, I'm. Personally, I'm, I'm grateful for that platforms exist like this. I'm fairly new into the um, communities. Um, and uh, to know that the type of passion, both from a technology standpoint and an impact standpoint, exists in a way that we've never experienced before uh, is, is very beyond encouraging. Um, and, uh, you know, every day is such is a new day. But in this world of transparency, it's uh, hopeful. So I think I personally, what I've gained from this podcast outside of a significant amount of knowledge on how we can most impactfully move forward is just this idea of, you know, there's a significant amount of hope um, because of what exists now. Uh, so it's just very affirming. So thank you for having uh, myself uh, on this um, platform our pleasure it was great having you and i would say uh you know it's it, john henry you know you know you know i love you guys and it, it's it's amazing to have the opportunity to 
record history, you know, as history is being made. I think uh, we're living through this moment and these are the kind of things that really push technology forwards and uh, benefits for humanity in general, you know, forwards. Uh, NFTs, cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology, you know, we're living uh, in this transition for humanity that is very wonderful. It's got many benefits uh, that are going to result in not only a lot of value generation, but uh, very great things, you know, very good things for humanity in general. So, you know, I appreciate you guys inviting us to the, to the podcast. Congratulations on it. And, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to be on. And, you know, I look forward to uh, seeing how this all evolves. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up. Any other, any other comments, Henry? No, I think this was um, exhaustively perfect. And I'm, I can't wait to share it. Um, you know, w- whether this is on the record or not, I just want to, I can't stress enough, uh, Devon, that the ideas, however noble and however full of humility um, that this space holds in potential, it is at great risk of being co-opted, consumed, and destroyed by corporatism and consumerism and greed. And so situate mm-hmm. yourself in your soul for a good fight that, you know, this won't happen because we want it to. It happens because we make it happen. And I like to use the metaphor mm-hmm. in the notion of the evolution of the technology from social media platforms, which we have our Facebook, our Twitter, our Twitch, our Instagram, our TikTok, whatever. What has been the revolution of the last five years for talking heads and mouthpieces and sermons on the mountain, bullhorns and the kind of you know cynical asides about, yes, well, I'm an activist because I made a tweet today about the injustice. Well, that's the last 10 years. The next 10 years, because of blockchain technology, is transitioning from words to actions, right? What is being fostered now by your platform, by many, many platforms, is the opportunity for the activist, for the poet, for the artist, for the philosopher, for the politician, for the passionate, homeless, you know, thinker. Every human being on earth has the ability now, because of this technology, to act, not just to talk. And that is so precious. And that's that aspect of this transition from speaking to acting is something that I really think needs protection. And it needs advocates and stewards that realize that it can be co-opted by greed to become just another consumeristic, capitalistic by design, you know, uh, category of asset management and growth and wealth for the rich already. I don't think we could ever take our eye off that ball. If we do, it'll get dropped. Somebody will push it out of our hands because there's somebody everywhere that wants to push the ball out of our hands. 
They don't want this to become uh, a platform for social change, for social good and for justice and for action. They don't want that. They want it to be the next way to make money. And I'm not saying making money is bad, but I'm saying if the making of the money stays as it has forever in exclusive elite circles that are cunning and will figure out how to keep the majority of the money in this space to themselves, then we've failed. So as you build your platform and you consider your vision and how you can make it manifest, never lose sight of that fact. Thank you for, yeah, no, thank you. <clears throat> that, um, that means a lot. And I know you're speaking from a historical factual uh, aspects and um, yeah, I, I appreciate that, that kind of a uh, commission that, that deeply resonates. Well, we're off the record. So you guys, thank you for everything today. Um, I'm so excited to, what, to follow your project. I am. If there's any way I can participate, man, just let me know. I want to be, you know, I want to be a part of it because as I was a part of doc.com for all those years, um, and I still am, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a fiery, but I can find a way to be helpful if you need it. Always, always, Henry. It, it's always been appreciated, and thank you. Thank you for so much for the support, and, you know, same thing with you, John. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a privilege and a pleasure to participate in what you guys are doing and also, you know, know that we have uh, – the support and understanding of what's to come and uh, the potentials of what we're doing, you know? So it's wonderful in that sense. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great pleasure to be in this journey together. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. Have a good one. Thanks a lot. Guys. Care. Bye guys.